Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, up there. It's exciting to me uh, to see teenagers, um, not only up here, um, but over there playing wall ball and over there hanging out and greeting each other and getting to know new people and getting into the Word of God. Um, they're, uh, they're owning their faith, man. They are owning their faith. There is something happening in that White House every Wednesday. Um, that is phenomenal. They're not just getting together and having great sweet cupcakes from Debbie Lynch because, man, she makes some good, good sweets. But they're, they're really getting the word of God, and salvation's happening. And they're inviting people, and they're inviting their friends in uh, to something much greater than themselves. And you know what? We need to take that lesson from them as well, don't we? Don't we? Uh, Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young, but you set the example, and they are the example. They are the example of faith and purity and love. Teenagers, you, you are the example. Thank you. Thank you for owning your faith because you challenge me in mine, and I'm grateful for you, very grateful. You have a place here. This is a safe place that we love you. And uh, we volunteer you to do things. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, with that said, um, uh, we, uh, we continue to, to, to worship. Uh, and we firmly believe that worship is a lifestyle. And it goes into every aspect of our life, including our finances and the way we manage and steward our finances. And so if uh, we appreciate you, for those of you that are, that are stepping in obedience into faith, um, you are not only keeping the lights on and keeping us employed, but you're allowing us to do the things that we do in our community um, and within our body as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can go online to wapaknaz.org uh, backslash give, or there's joy boxes at the exits on the way out. I'm going to go through this awkward transition moment and get my Bible. There you go. I would encourage you to get yours as well. And if you don't have one, if you're here for the first time or you've been here for a long time and you don't have a Bible, these blue Bibles um, are yours if you want to take one. And if you don't want to take the blue one because it's blue and you don't like the color or you don't like how the font is really, really tiny, take a brown one. Take a brown one. It's yours. Take it. If you don't have one, get it. Uh, that is why we exist. We, want, we firmly believe in the Word of God. And that is why we have it here for you to take with you. So if you would, please open up to Acts chapter, uh, chapter 9. We're going to stay there for just a brief moment. Acts chapter 9, we're going to go right into it. Acts chapter 9, verse 1 uh, through 5. Acts 9, 1 through 5. 
Meanwhile, Saul, uh, later, later known as Paul, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for the letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, meaning anybody following Jesus Christ, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus. You know, early on, as a believer in Jesus, I, I honestly, this text, along with other, other scriptures throughout the entirety of the, of, of the Bible, convinced me that adventure with God often started out with flashes of lightning, heavenly flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, uh, earthquakes, just those big neon signs are kind of like, you know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail with a big finger pointing that way. Um, that you know without a shadow of a doubt that this is God. I mean, God called Moses through a burning bush. Uh, Ezekiel, Isaiah, these profound visions. Jonah, I mean, he, he, he possibly heard an audible voice, but he hopped ship that was thrown over ship was swallowed by a fish and then regurgitated on the ground. I mean, if you didn't get the message by that point, I don't know what's going to help you. But that was, that was an adventure without <laughs> trying to run from God. I'm curious what the adventure would be with God, right? The disciples, soon to be apostles, they experienced the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and they experienced Pentecost. These booming flashes of lightning type of moments where it's undeniable that God is calling you on adventure with him. They're otherworldly, they're miraculous, they're wondrous, and I often sensed early on as a believer that if these aren't happening, then he's not calling me on to adventure with him. Truthfully, I would, I would stand in our, my, my bedroom looking out the window at night, late at night, praying over um, circumstances in my life more often than, than not. It was, I really hope I can date that girl. Um, and I was asking God, show me a sign. Is this your direction? Looking for the, the shooting star going across the sky. Then I would know she's the one, right? Never happened. It never happened. I learned a very important lesson over the course of my life with Christ that, quite frankly, um, if I need some sort of flashes of lightning from heaven, some earthquake or something of that effect to put me on the ground off of my feet, then I'm probably in as bad off a position as Paul was on the road to Damascus. Because he was a hard-hearted man, a Christian killer. And God was trying to get his attention. So if I need that heavenly flash of lightning, then I'm probably in as bad off a position as he is. I don't know, does that sound familiar in your life? God, where's the neon sign? Where's the flash of lightning? Where's the peal of thunder? Where's the earthquake? Shake my house 
shake my ground, shake my life, that I know it's, it is you. Even more important of a lesson that I've learned over the course of my life, that God-sized adventures often come in the simplest and smallest of ways in the form of opportunity. Flip over a couple more pages or scroll down on your phones to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Now Saul, who is now Paul actually, a Christian killer turned church planter, who's, who's discipling people, who's been on church planting journeys for quite some time. He's now embarking on his second church planting journey. He's parted ways with a, with a confidant, Barnabas, and he's picked up a, another confidant, Silas, from Jerusalem. And now he's retracing some of his steps from the previous church planting journey, just in Acts chapter 14. He's re- retracing some of the steps on his next journey. He goes to Derby and Lystra and, and Iconium before he continues to head out to places that he's not been to before. And here we pick it up. Acts chapter 16, verse 1, and we'll continue to verse 3. He, Paul, came to Derby, then to Lystra, again, retracing his steps, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of Timothy. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. You know, this guy, Timothy, he lived in Lystra. Paul had already been through Lystra before on his first missionary journey, and he's going through Lystra again. And he runs across this disciple. Now, this isn't like a disciple like the Jesus' disciples, those 12 that were living with Jesus day in and day out for three years in his ministry. This was a disciple who pretty much is like you and me. We're followers of Jesus, um, learning from the one whom we follow, right? That's Timothy. His background is his mom is a Jewess. His, his mom's name is Eunice. We find that out in, in 2 Timothy. And his grandmother's name is Lois. And actually, Timothy's life, faith life, actually started with his grandma and his mom. And he saw them live their life out. His grandpa was, or his father was Greek, which said a whole lot. But for Timothy, he'd been a disciple. And Paul does a background check on Timothy, like we do background checks on our children's ministry workers. He starts asking people. His was a little bit looser than ours, right? He starts asking people about this guy, Timothy. Hey, tell me what you know. What do you see? And he goes to Lystra and he goes to Iconium. And he finds that the brothers and the sisters speak well of him. He's got a track record. He's good. And what does Paul do? Simply invites Timothy to go on adventure provides him a very simple opportunity. Back when I was in college, uh, I was a senior. I'd only been a believer maybe less than two years. I was only following Jesus for for a little time. So um, binge drinking uh, weekends and high Friday nights weren't that far behind me. And I was still trudging through my, my journey with Christ, which I'm still trudging through my journey with Christ, aren't we all? 
And I, it, was, it was spring semester, and I went to Baptist Student Union House right off the edge of campus to hang out with people and listen to a band. And it was there where, as I was listening to the band, the BSU leader came up to me and was just having what seemed like a casual conversation with me. And in that casual conversation, there was an invitation to an opportunity. And that opportunity, hey, we're going to uh, Charleston, South Carolina this spring. Do you want to come? Opportunity. And uh, I did what all of us tend to do. Well, let me, let me think about it and let me pray about it, right? We avoid it. I mean, I didn't know what pray about it meant when I was that young as a believer in Christ. The only things I was praying about were girls and good test scores. That's all my prayer life consisted of, right? But at some point, between the time he invited me and the time that bus left, I took the opportunity and I went on that bus and I drove down with them to Charleston, South Carolina. Never did I know when I chose to take that opportunity, that simple thing, that it would become a God-sized adventure for me because that opportunity rooted the missional mindset in my life. It was there that I started to understand and get sucked in to the kingdom of God and to the work of God. And from there, it opened the door for other things that were opportunities. The Dominican Republic, China, Germany, Cuba, Honduras, Pascagoula, Mississippi, four times, Port Arthur, Texas, one time, and a plethora of other opportunities in the Dayton area. Folks, you never know the God-sized adventure that comes out of an opportunity that you seize. It could be one of the most important decisions you make in your life. That God-sized opportunity in Charleston, South Carolina, I venture to say brought me to this point with you here in Wapakoneta. Because Wapakoneta is our mission field. It is our mission field. So, a simple opportunity presented to Timothy by Paul. And you know what? Timothy took it. Timothy ran with it. Paul, often in, in the letter to the church of Colossae, a church that he never went to, he kind of closed out the letter in chapter 4, and he said, make the most of every opportunity. To the church in Ephesus, he says the same thing. He says, be very careful. Then how you live. This is Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 18. Be careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Paul, who was completely taken off his feet on that road to Damascus, had a life transformation moment. He learned very quickly. It's not always the heavenly flashes of lightning, is it? It's the opportunity, making the most of every opportunity. In fact, in that letter to Colossae, 
Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. He says this to the church, and we say this to ourselves: devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door. I don't know how many times I've heard people say in my life, particularly when I was on the college campus, I'm just asking God to open a door. I don't think any of us understood what open a door meant. He said, pray for us too, that God opens a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. The message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Died on the cross for our sins, buried and rose from the dead on the third day that we may have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the message. That is the gospel of peace and hope that Paul wishes to proclaim. Pray that we may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in every way you act towards outsiders and then make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. He continues in some other letters to the church of Corinth. He says, but I will stay here on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened for me. Doors, opportunities, it's all about the effective work of the kingdom of God. He later says in, in, the, in the second letter of Corinthians to the same church, he says, now see, I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and I found that the Lord had opened a door for me. What's he talking about, open door? In fact, when he says open door, he actually means literally an opportunity to do something and that something is kingdom work effective kingdom work literally he's saying to the church of Colossae pray that I have an opportunity to do something and that something is to share the gospel and you when you act with outsiders who have no belief in God whatsoever make the most of that opportunity to do something. Paul believes that there's power in the simplest thing called an opportunity. Guess what? Your life is full of opportunities. The simplest things. Many of you sit in doctor's offices. Many of you go to classrooms. Many of you have jobs. And all of us have to grow to the grocery store once in a while. Many of us are outside taking care of our property. Many of us are taking walks or going to the gym. What I hear in that is opportunity, 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 opportunity. Going to urgent care even when you're sick is an opportunity. Taking your child to urgent care when they're sick is an opportunity. Retirement is a huge opportunity. Opportunity. Well, what does opportunity actually mean? Well, literally, behind the word of opportunity in the Greek, it means it's a measure of time. It's a measure of time. There is a door that will close. Time will eventually end. And that time, you can either waste it or wisely seize it to be redeemed for sacred use. That word redeems. Literally, it's redeeming time. Well, I was like, what what does this mean? Redeeming time. 
it actually means taking full advantage of a buying opportunity. So I like to buy stuff sometimes, every now and then now, not too often. But let's just imagine you love to smoke meat and you want to up your game on your smoker and you've been eyeing the top of the line for a long time and one day you're strolling through Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever they have meat smokers because I don't have one (laughs) and you notice that what is usually $900 is $199 and you can't believe your eyes right this is a buying opportunity and you're looking around going did they put the wrong sign on the smoker and so you you take the smoker and you take it up to the counter and you're hoping that when they run the 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 code across the scanner that it comes up 199 and you're hoping that they don't say no sir I'm sorry this is actually now 12.99 no this is it goes across the barcode 199 and you pull out your card fast enough so that you can buy it and you can get out of that store so you have your sweet new smoker and you invite everybody to the house because you're going to smoke a whole lot of brisket it's taking full advantage of the buying opportunity redeeming it see fact the fact is we have a lot of time in our life We have a whole lot of time in our life. And the fact is, with that time that we have, we often choose to waste it. But Paul says, redeem it. Act as if that time is time that you've literally paid for with your dollar. If you paid for something for two hours, you're going to get those two hours worth of that time, are you not? You're not going to waste your dollar. He says, an opportunity is a measure of time that can be either wasted or wisely seized, redeemed for a sacred use, not a wasted use, a sacred use. And so he challenges the church of Colossae, the church of Ephesus, and the church of 2021. Make use of your time. Make the most of every opportunity. And you're looking at me like, well, how do I know if an opportunity has come my way? Paul seems to have this, I don't know, he's almost like Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Mahomes from Kansas City, Lamar Jackson. I know that there are a lot of other great quarterbacks out there. But these two, Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, when they're, behind, when they're behind center and they're watching the defense, they seem to have this defensive IQ above and beyond many other QBs. They can see the slightest movement of the safeties or the line, and they can read it, and they can immediately change the play audibly to the point where they were going to pass, and now they're going to either run or hand off. Paul seems to have that ability where he's going through life to see when opportunities arise. These moments that are, could be redeemed for sacred use. He's challenging us to see the opportunity around us and then seize it. 
Take it. Redeem it. Make it happen. And so, we want to redeem our time. Quite frankly, for Timothy, Paul wasn't just going to sit around for a while waiting on Timothy to make his decision. Eventually, Paul was going to leave. That bus to South Carolina was going to go with or without me. Opportunities have a limited amount of time. They're going to close. And more often than not, opportunities close a lot quicker than we think they do. When I read that story from Timothy and Paul and that simple invitation to an opportunity, you know what I don't see? I don't see Timothy saying, hey, Paul, let me go back to my prayer group and pray about it. Let me go journal it for a while. Let me, uh, you know, make sure that I have wise counsel. You know what I see here? I see none of that. I see Timothy joining the crew. How does that happen? How does Timothy know that this is an opportunity? How does Paul know that these are open doors that the Lord has opened for him? Well, I'm pretty sure Paul and Timothy have lived away today that prepares them to see and seize the opportunities today and tomorrow. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Nehemiah in the book of Nehemiah, first chapter. Nehemiah hears the crisis that's happening back home, a place that he hasn't been to yet. And the crisis is the walls are down. His brother had informed him this, of, of this information. The walls are down. And the people are now exposed and vulnerable to all sorts of things. And he weeps. And he cries. He fasts three days. And he prays. But then, after that, we start to read in chapter 1 and chapter 2, at some point, he has this moment where he has an interaction with King Artaxerxes. And the king says, your, your face is sad. What's going on? And here's the opportunity. But what we miss in reading chapter 1 and chapter 2 is the time spans about three to five months. In between the time that Nehemiah heard about the walls and was heartbroken to the time that the king had asked him, what do you want? All along, Nehemiah is praying for opportunity. Praying for the moment. God Show up. Bring me the opportunity. And what we read in that moment, it said Nehemiah prayed. He's literally standing before the king and he prays. It wasn't this long, drawn-out prayer. He wasn't going back to prayer group. He knew this was it and he was going to seize it. And he said, he just prayed. It was a pocket prayer. It's what I call a pocket prayer. He just prayed, oh Lord, help me here. This is what I need. This is what I want. And the king gave it to him. It's often, I also see it like Elisha, who's out there with the oxen, working the fields. He's just doing the daily grind. And then EJ, Elijah, happens by for a very specific purpose because he was going to anoint Elisha to succeed him. And EJ throws the cloak on him and continues to go down the road. This isn't a moment 
that you just take time to figure out, should I go or should I not? I'm going to talk to my family. I'm going to talk to the Lord. I'm going to journal. I'll get back with you. No, Elijah is not going to stop. He's going to keep going because the work of God and the mission of God needs to continue to go. So Elisha runs up. He runs after EJ. Folks, opportunities, we need the ability to see them and seize them. And how do we do that? We live in a way today that prepares us. It prepares us to be able to see them and seize them when they arrive. Nehemiah prayed. Elisha, he was doing the daily grind, the things that he was responsible for. Timothy, you knew he was doing work because the brothers in Lystra and Iconium they spoke well of him. Paul, man, he was, he was in prayer often. These are lessons that we take from these people that are used by God to do amazing, effective works in the kingdom. And so, there was the moment last year, um, around November, when Honduras uh, was hit by two hurricanes. Uh, almost within two weeks. And I received a phone call from Rob Alexander from the Valley. He was their mission coordinator for Honduras. And he said, Ambrose, did you hear? I said, yeah, I heard. Hey, we're, uh, we're putting together an effort to collect items for the people in Honduras. They just really are in need. Do you think you can do an 18-wheeler trailer on your property? and move, mobilize your people to, to collect items for, for Honduras. I said, hmm, let me make a couple phone calls. Made a couple phone calls. We have an 18-wheeler out at the WAC in less than a week. And we have mobilized not only our church, but nonprofits, businesses, for-profit, uh, churches, and other school uh, groups all mobilized for two weeks of collection and the trailer was filled that was a moment that was an opportunity that we saw and that we seized the door was going to close soon and man what an effort it was from Pratt Industries to God's Storehouse to National Honor Society here in, in Wapak to, to uh, over in St. Mary's to our church to several other churches and a lot of other groups that pulled together to make things happen. That was an opportunity that we saw, that we seized, and man, did God blow the doors down because actually there are some of you here today that showed up into these doors as a result of that opportunity. Opportunities are transformative, are they not? It's a measure of time that we don't want to waste, that we want to wisely use and redeem for sacred use. That's making the most of every opportunity. And so, we live in a way that prepares us. And so, what do we do? We're going to bring this down to a little brass tacks. Now, granted, I understand that opportunities come and maybe you need to pray through things. I'm not saying that you don't do those. This is how we prepare ourselves to live in a way so that we can see them and seize them 
with a, even just a pocket prayer like Nehemiah had. Well, we, filters God, we filter God's voice in our life. In Life Group, we actually had this conversation a couple weeks ago. And I was very grateful for that conversation. As I was writing the sermon, I was like, there it is. So how do we live in a way today that prepares us to see and seize immediately the opportunities that are there before us? Well, we got to filter God's voice out. we got to filter him out from all the other voices that are combating for you. The four voices in our life, that would be the enemies, that would be the Lord's, that would be yours, and that would be other people's. Other people would also include culture, right? And sometimes other people's are the people that are really, really close to you, such as family members, the people that you just share a whole lot. But not all the time are those voices even that clear and godly right? Even if they are believers. So we have to ask ourselves throughout our day, we got to learn his voice. And we ask these simple questions. These come from Bill Hybels. He had a book a long time ago that I just really thought, man, this is really right on. We got to ask God, is this your voice? If you think God is speaking to you in your life to learn his voice, we got to ask him himself, is this your voice? Or is this someone else's? And when the opportunity arises, when it's right there at your feet, we ask the question, is this your opportunity? Is this scriptural? When we think that we, God is speaking to us and inviting us on adventure, whether it's a big opportunity or a small opportunity, we've got to line it up with scripture. Scripture interprets scripture, and God's voice will never disagree with the word of God. It never will. That's why it's so important that if you don't have a Bible, grab it, take it with you. If you know someone that doesn't have a Bible, grab it, take it with you, give it to them. We want to spread it, man. But God, is this your voice, and is it scriptural? Can I back this up with, this, with the scriptures? Two, three, sorry, three, letter C. God is this wise. Would a wise person do this? I have no doubt when we start looking at Paul's activity, just read the book, chapter uh, Acts 16, right after Timothy, they run into a roadblock in less than 10 verses. They continue to run in roadblocks, and roadblock after this, and roadblock after that, because God wanted them to go to a specific direction. He wanted them to go to the region of Macedonia, to the, to, specifically to Philippi. And that's where we have the book of Philippians from. But see, Paul had to be in tune with the voice of God and with the Spirit of God. God, is this a wise thing? Is this scriptural? Is this your voice? And is this in tune with my shape or my character or my design? All of you are uniquely designed in such a way that God will use you in such a way. Is this aligned with my design and my character? And lastly, what did the irons in my life think? Remember, this is in preparation for an opportunity. We need to be preparing for those opportunities that are presented before us well before the opportunities presented before us. So learning the voice of God is so important. What do my irons say? What do the people who sharpen my life, who are trusted, who don't blow smoke, who are honest with me, who speak truth and love, that will tell me, bro, you're crazy. You're just nuts. 
Well, sometimes God calls us to nutty things, right? I mean, y'all showed up here at Wapak Naz. I mean, come on. <laughs> but what, do, what does wise counsel say? The people that have been in the trenches with you for a long time, what do they say? That conversation at Life Group opened up a couple other things to me. A few that I've thought of before and a few that I hadn't. This comes out of Rick Warren. Um, give credit to credit where credit's due. Um, this comes out of Rick Warren. If we're really trying to figure out, God, is this you or not? We're preparing our life daily for those opportunities in that day or some, some other time. Some other questions that we need to ask. Will this make me more like Christ, right? Because that's our objective, that Jesus transforms our heart on the inside and we become more and more like him throughout our relationship with him, that there's less anger and bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and there's more compassion and more mercy, more kindness and more gentleness, more long-suffering, more, that, that's a word for patience, uh, more love and peace and joy, right? Those are him, those are his character. And as you grow close to him, you've got to ask yourself, are these things going to make me more like him or not? Do I sense God's peace? I asked my wife um, earlier this week about when, when she knows that God's in something. And she said, often it's when I sense God's peace that I know the next step, that that's the next step in my life. See, Paul even said to the church of Philippians, that church that he went to, after all those roadblocks, he said, man, don't be anxious about anything, but pray and everything, right? With thanksgiving and all those good things. And then he says, in the peace of God that transcends all understanding, the peace of God that doesn't make sense when life doesn't make sense, guess what it does? It guards your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard you. It, the peace of God's a warrior. It guards. It guards you. And it gives you a sense that, yeah, this is the right move. Now, does that mean that there's not going to be unrest? Absolutely not. But you can rest in the peace of God, even when there is unrest around you. Even if you're stepping into the most unsafe place in your life, the will of God. Is this my responsibility? I think this is a really good question. I think often we begin to take things on ourselves that are not ours to take on. Whether it's in family, in the workplace, with other people, quite frankly, people are going to try to put things on you that don't belong to you anyways. There's this wonderful thing called boundaries, right? We've got to have boundaries. But we have to have a discerning mind to see whether or not this is my responsibility. And lastly, is this conviction or condemnation? Now, in Romans 8, it says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're wondering whether or not God's voice is in your life, God's voice is not a condemning voice in your life. Now, yes, we need to understand that there is judgment on the, on the back end of things. When Christ comes, judgment happens right? That may seem condemning. 
but really our own actions and our choices condemn ourselves, not him. But God's voice isn't a condemning voice. God's voice is a convicting voice, meaning pump the brakes, Ambrose. You're going in the wrong direction. Hey, that's not godly. That's not holy. That's not me. That's conviction. When we get conviction, we change direction. So these things, these questions that we filter God's voice, figuring out, is this you, God, or is this me? Is this the enemy, or is this other people? Ask these questions. God, is this your voice? God, is this scriptural? Is this wise to do? Is this in tune with me? The way you created me. What do my irons say? Meaning you have to have conversations with people. Will this make me more like Jesus? Does, do you sense God's peace in this? Even if it doesn't make sense. Is this my responsibility? Are you putting this on me, God? Or am I taking somebody else's? And lastly, is there conviction? As we wrap up, we need to understand opportunities seized open more opportunities. The life of Timothy, when we look at that seemingly obscure moment, we just read past it in Acts 16. But this moment that Paul invites Timothy on the church planning journey with Titus, whom Paul met on his first journey, I'm pretty sure Paul invited Titus with Silas, whom he met in Jerusalem. You can read that in Acts 15, just the chapter before. He just met this guy in, in, in Jerusalem. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts and the book of Luke, who's on this journey. This moment that we just read by, where Paul simply provides an opportunity for Timothy. This moment opens up so many more opportunities for Timothy. Because anywhere between 10 to 18 years later, Paul writes his last letter, one of his last letters, 2 Timothy, to Timothy, who at that point is now leading the church of Ephesus. An opportunity was presented back home 10 to 18 years later, he's now leading a church in Ephesus. Along the way, it was as if his life was weaved in and out with Paul, Silas, Titus, Luke, the rest of the crew, Aristarchus, Secundus, all these other people. Sometimes Paul would say, hey, Timothy, you go over there with Silas. Or, hey, Timothy, you stay here, and I'm going to go over there. Throughout his career, the books that we have in the New Testament, Timothy co-wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Philemon, Colossians, and a couple others with Paul. Folks, you never know what opportunities will open up when you seize the opportunity. Those are going to be the most important decisions you make in your life because they open so much. So, 
opportunities are not spiritualized moments, are they? They don't happen down at the altar, necessarily. They don't happen in the church pew, necessarily, or even in life groups. But they happen as you go throughout your daily life. Which means to tell, which tells me that life is more sacred than you think it is. And the mundane, run-of-the-mill, everyday moments, those are holy moments. Those are holy moments. Your life is sacred. Your life. And so is the life of the other person that you're in the doctor's office with, that you're in the line with, that you're working the line with, that you're teaching, that you're interacting with. Those are opportunities. So, Wapak Nas, those of you listening online, make the most of every opportunity. How? Prepare yourself for those opportunities. So when they arise, you can see them. Give a pocket prayer and seize it because you never know what's going to happen on the other side because it's a kingdom work. Will you please stand? For some of you today, this is an opportunity to seize. I'm just going to tell you, here it is. You don't have to look around to figure out if it's an opportunity or not. It's right here. The opportunity is for you to receive Jesus Christ in your life. The Lord of all opportunities. The Lord of life. Make the most of the moment. He wants to impart life to you. He wants to give you grace. He wants to give you mercy and forgiveness. He wants to give you himself, his presence. And it's a simple opportunity. And all you need to do is cross the line of faith. and Say, you know what, Jesus, I, I give you my life. It's yours. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life and all the opportunities therein. So I challenge you, if you don't have Jesus in your life, seize the opportunity right now. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? And if that's you, if this is the opportunity that you've been waiting for, that you've been looking around for, no, there's not peals of thunder and earth-shattering moments, but maybe, just maybe, your heart is pounding on the inside. Your mind might be racing. And yes, you might see that this, this is what you've been looking for. If that's you, I just ask that you simply pray along with me, sincerely, with your heart, genuinely. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. give you my life forgive me of my sin you are Lord 
died on the cross for my sins. And you didn't leave it there. You rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Come into my life and breathe your breath of life in me. Lord, I give you my life. If that's you, I just encourage you. This opportunity right now will close, but as long as you have breath in your body, you have an opportunity to receive Jesus. But I challenge you, don't wait. Don't wait. Because you can go on adventure with God today. Jesus, I give you my life. If that's you, if, if, if you, for the first time, gave him your life, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to acknowledge that by raising your hand. Let us know so that we can pray for you, pray along with you, and go along with you in the journey. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus, thank you so much for who you are and how you make our life sacred how you provide all these opportunities. Help us see them. Help them. Help us know your voice so when we do see them, we can know whether or not this is from you. Lord, help us create some margin in our life so that we, we're not running around, that we can stop and pause for those moments that are opportunities. And God, may we seize them. With your power to speak the gospel to share our life, to share the love of God in whatever way it is, practically, verbally, doesn't matter. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and it's in your name we pray. Jesus, amen. Folks, we love you. Will you please love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength? And will you please love your neighbor as yourself? Go see and seize the opportunities this week. Thank you for listening to the Wapaknaz podcast. We hope you were moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you and that you were moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.